Hi, this is Jonathan Tiersten from The Perfect House and Sleepaway Camp, and you are listening to The Real Nerds Podcast. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast, unofficially the official podcast at Denver Comic Con 2014 and beyond till the end of time. I am Ryan. With me always is Brad. James. James is first. He pointed at me. I pointed at I'm not paying attention. Yeah. Get the levels <laughs> right before you start the show, James. Please. They're right. We're good. Are you sure? Yeah. Jeez. It's like amateur hour over here. <laughs> <laughs> we have a special guest today. Ivan, introduce yourself to everybody, even though I just introduced you to Alrighty. people. My name is Ivan Pavletic, also known as Ivan Pavletic, uh, a filmmaker, a local filmmaker here in uh, Colorado, and uh, that's that. Awesome. Cool. Welcome back. You're actually a two-time yeah. guest. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Starfest last year. Yep. You told us wonderful... I don't know, wonderful stories about the war yeah. from where you're from, but you yeah. told us stories and we enjoyed it. But you're actually here for, because um, you have a couple movies at a festival coming up, correct? Uh, yes, yes. Uh, there are two movies, uh, two feature films coming up now at the next uh, Galaxy Film Festival between the 21st and 23rd of February. Uh, one is Sane in 1974 about the Vietnam veterans uh, coming back to the United States from Vietnam back in the 70s and, you know, all the obstacles they had to go through. And also uh, 476 AD, Chapter 1, The Last Light of Ares. And uh, both of these movies just had uh, premieres here in Colorado. Uh, the first premiere of Sane in 1974 was December 5th. And the second uh, premiere of, or the premiere of 476, uh, Chapter 1, The Last Light of Aries, was right now at uh, the Mayan Theater on February 5th. And that was a nice, you know, turnout. We had we had uh, Donald Zuckerman, the president of the Colorado Film Commission there. You know, a lot of big people in Colorado Film came. Channel 9 News was there, Kirk Montgomery, uh, like, I don't know, I mean, there were like, I think 300 people that came, despite the fact that it was minus 15 Fahrenheit, so <laughs> it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was strange, because two days before it was, uh, you know, relatively nice, normal, you know, around freezing 32 Fahrenheit, um, and then suddenly Wednesday on the day of my premiere, it's minus 15. Two <laughs> days later, it's nice. And now it's totally springtime, you know, <laughs> just a week later. So it's the way Colorado works. Yeah, the way Colorado works and the way uh, winter just loves me because the same <laughs> thing happened on December 5th when Sane in 1974 was premiering. I think it was also something like 10 minus below uh, wow. Fahrenheit. So. But yeah, my name is Ivan, and I guess Russian winter likes me or something. So those are two different kinds of films. That, totally different, yeah. Uh, so take us on the journey of making these films, because my guess is you didn't plan on having them both come out at the same time. Uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah, it sort of worked out interestingly like that. Um, you know, 476 is a story uh, which has been in my head for like 20 years, uh, whereas... Uh, Sane in 1974 is a concept I came up with, and then I talked to Eddie Portuguese, and Eddie and I uh, co-wrote the 
story uh, back in 2012, and uh, I was in the middle of pretty much working on 476, and Eddie really wanted to do the scene in 1974, so Eddie put some money in it, and uh, we just started shooting scene in 1974 at the same time. And uh, which actually worked out really well, you know, because suddenly now I had two features, you know, premiering a matter of two months from each other. And the good thing about it, they're completely different. You know, the editing style, the, the, the story style, dynamic, the timing, every uh, just the whole feel, ambience of the stories and the movie is completely different. Which I'm actually very happy as a director because it shows my variety. Mm-hmm. That I can actually do something completely different, and you know I like that and i like I like the opportunity to show the variety you know and uh and uh, like with uh four seventy six what I really tried to do and uh uh there were a lot of fears uh, involved is is to do something completely different uh feel uh look sound dynamic vibe atmosphere the whole nine yards being completely different with 476, meaning, you know, uh, I was just in a movie theater the other day, and I, don't, I think I watched a movie called Monuments Men, mm-hmm. but uh, I watched the previous before for about 20 minutes, maybe even 20-some minutes, watching the previews before. Three of the movies looked, sounded, and felt the same. I won't name which they are, but they are big CGI productions, which are about hundred to hundred million dollar productions. The point is that movies haven't really changed much since twenty five years ago. You know, I mean, when we watched a CGI movie from, let's say, nineteen ninety five or ninety one or ninety eight, you know, starting with Terminator Two, you know, it was wow back then, you know. You're seeing a computer graphics that has never been seen before, and and you know, 20 to 25 years ago, that was phenomenal. You know, even 20 years, even 15 years ago, it was still a wow. But we have sort of gotten to the point where it's getting old. Mm-hmm. You know, because I mean, if you watch uh, different versions of Spider-Man, and and they all look and feel the same, meaning okay, the story has changed, but the feel, the look, dynamic, the music. Is the same, you know. It, it, it's time to do something different, you know. When we had like, you know, between 1977 and 83, when the first three Star Wars came out, that was totally revolutionary. You know, nobody saw something like that. You know, I've talked to people who, you know, saw Star Wars, the first one, Episode One or Episode Four, The New Hope, in uh, I think it was in the Continental Movie Theater <laughs> on I-25. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And when they saw it, it was it was so unimaginable that just blew them through the roof. I mean, nobody ever done something like this, you know. And I think I think in in the film industry, uh, we are sort of in the periods of every twenty five to thirty years where change happens, you know. So from the thirties until the sixties, movies didn't really uh, look that much different. I mean, they 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 were different, but they they felt sounded. The music was the same, dynamic was the same. Everything was sort of the editing was the same, until Space Odyssey. You know, Space Odyssey comes out in 1968, a whole new revolution of filmmaking. You know, and yeah. that was 1960s. You had Sergio Leone's, you know, spaghetti westerns. You had all those kind of movies coming out, and I think sort of we're living in a time right now that it's it's time for a new dynamic in film. 
you know and that's sort of what i'm going for i guess cool so what exactly dynamic do you think uh your films have that separate it from films that we've seen well i you know first of all i gotta say my movies are ultra low budget <laughs> you know well i mean they're not ultra low budget but in hollywood they're considered ultra low or micro low budget you know 476 is a movie that that's been in the works for three and a half years and it's such a, a strange weird film you know that that when you watch it it's it's slower than usual uh, it's purposely made this way it's made to be transcendent it's made to be ethereal it's made to feel and look like a dream i mean we live in colorado which is a state that has legalized weed so we <laughs> might as well take in consideration uh, you know it's it's sort of you know in a correlation with with that it, it just feels different and i wanted it different because i didn't want to have uh, a movie uh, that sounds and feels like every other movie you know the whole thing is you know some some people at the premiere said that the movie reminded them a little bit of the pink floyd the wall mm -hmm. you know that had had that kind of a vibe uh, which is actually a very good thing for me because that's exactly sort of what i was going for you know because um, uh, I, I don't think the 476 is a kind of a film that's going to be uh, a money maker right away. I don't think it's going to be a phenomenal movie right away. I think it's it's a weird movie. It takes a moment, you know, it takes a little bit of time for the public to to sink in something new, something different. You know, it's it's sort of like when I first saw Pulp Fiction and that was during the war in Croatia. I remember 1995. I didn't know who Tarantino was. The movie was totally weird, totally different. I've never seen anything like Pulp Fiction before. I remember sitting, uh, sitting in, a, in a theater and watching that and seeing Samuel Jackson and John Travolta talk about cheeseburgers and uh, McDonald's in Paris and stuff like that. I was thinking, what the hell is this about? I mean, what, what, I've never seen this. This is... Uh, the story's out of place, you know. It has nothing to do with anything, but I couldn't take my eyes off it. That was the difference. Yeah. I could, there was something about it that was original enough that I couldn't take my eye. It sort of annoyed me, but it was original enough where it's like, well, th this is just weird and cool. Yet now it's a total cult classic. You know, we sort of accept that, you know. And we, uh, you know, human psycho is sort of uh, made like this. We, we look at things in a way... Uh, you know, we brand things. We we look at vanity. You know, uh, for instance, there was an example uh, where they took uh, they were doing tests on human psychology, and they took Picasso's painting. You know, his cubist, weird Picasso's painting, and put the painting next to like children's paintings, mm -hmm. and people didn't know it was Picasso. These, I mean, these were regular people; they didn't know it was Picasso, so they started saying, "Oh, yeah, yeah, interesting, children's paintings." The moment somebody said this was a Picasso, the moment their psychology completely changed. It was like, wow, suddenly, you know, it's, oh, my God, it's Picasso. You know, we have to now accept it differently because it was a name. You yeah. know, pe people brand things according to a name. You know, we, we, we watch Space Odyssey. I personally think it's the best movie ever made. <laughs> I, you know, I think, you know, but there's a lot of people who will watch it because it's, it's sort of a cult classic, you know. And we'll watch those 13 minutes of the light show beyond Jupiter, you know, and, and we'll sort of accept that because it's Kubrick. 
But what if it wasn't Kubrick? What if it was some dude by the name of Sam Stevens or something like that who we'd never heard of before? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we suddenly watch a movie with a 13-minute light show in Beyond <laughs> the Jupiter, and, and it's suddenly not Kubrick. You know, it's one of those things. You know, we, we tend to be told what to like. We don't really... I mean, we do, but a lot of times we like what we are told to like, what is cool to like, to be liked, what what is fashionable to be liked. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think I think that's sort of a thing. You know, I think if my name was Quentin Tarantino, and and I did something completely different, it would be accepted way better than if my name is Ivan Pavlovich, and I do something like that. So it's it's one of those things where it's just uh, hit or miss. I guess I don't know. So how do you change people's mind then? If uh, you're so, you said that you know the difference between you and Tarantino is the name. Then how mm -hmm. do you change them while they're watching your film, and how do you think they'll eventually warm up to the ideas you have put forth in your films? Um, well, you know that that's uh, I, I hope I hope it works. That's all I can say because I, I really don't know for sure. Uh, you know, I don't know if if any of my films are ever going to be. Uh, if they're ever going to make it, if they're ever going to be interesting. But I, I, I think, you know, when I, I will say this. When I was at the Mayan Theater, I was watching the, the audience, you know, sort of looking at the audience, watching the film. And I did notice that they were slightly hypnotized. You know, I can't really say if they were uh, not in a good mood or they were in a good mood, whatever it was, but they didn't feel like they were bored, like they were wild. They, 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 they felt like they were transported into a time like teleported into a time which is sort of what I like which is sort of what I want because even if you dislike a movie let's say you go watch a movie and and the movie does something to you it, it sort of teleports you in a time period in, in, into a different reality and you feel uncomfortable because of it but if you think about it and you think about this the day later and it's sort of going through your head it means it did something you know, if you watch a movie and you go out of a movie theater and you forget about it and you wake up next morning and you, you even you can't remember what's the name of the movie you saw, that's the number one thing that differentiates a good movie from from a semi-good movie is that, that there's something, there's that je ne sais quoi, that, that, uh, the ring to it that, that just makes you feel different. You know, it puts goosebumps on your hands, you know, on your body. It, it just... It gives you something else, you know, and that's sort of what I'm going for, you know. Will I ever make it? Will I ever succeed in that? I don't know. But all I know is that, for instance, you know, when I do editing styles, I don't follow a certain school of editing. I sort of do my own thing, you know, which is a risk because a lot of people don't like that. A yeah. lot of people, if they see a weird dynamic, a weird timing, they have a problem accepting that. So when you do that, you're sort of risking of losing audiences, but then again, you're also gaining originality because you're not doing something by the book. So it's a hit or miss thing, you know. So also, though, too, you probably have to rely a lot on your actors, too, to be good mm -hmm. because if you're trying new things, I think if the acting suffers then you're going to lose the audience as well. Right, right. And that's one of those things where it's just, uh, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> I don't want to brag, but I tend to act in my movies too. And the reason I tend to act in my movies is because I always find a character that I think is really, really, really hard to depict. And something about that character, then I take the responsibility. 
You know, if that character is really hard to explain to another actor as a director, then I tend to take the character and I act it out as best as I can, you know, hoping that I can depict what I what I can do. And, you know, and when I direct, you know, I can I know what I want. So it's it's not a problem. You know, I, I know what I want. So as a director, I know what to depict and I know how to get that across. So so by doing that, I think I think that. You know, I think a combination of actors, a combination of, uh, then it goes into the editing room, and then a combination of music, combination of ambience, combination of atmosphere. I think it depicts, it creates a certain, you know, a certain sense, you know, but uh, it's just that I I, I refuse to. Uh, I refuse to make movies like other movies to fit in. Mm-hmm. It, it it would be like I'm kicking myself in the ass, you know, by doing something against my own will. For instance, let's say in order to get to Sundance, right, you have to make do, you have to have a certain celebrity in your film, and the movie has to feel and sound in a certain way. You have to have piano music. It has to have <laughs> a certain feel. It has to have, you know, a certain a deep, um, I don't know the word, um, sense to it and I, I notice that a lot of directors tend to create their movies to fit in a certain norm so it is accepted by the high society uh, okay that's fair sure you know because you need these big time festivals to accept you but I do believe that sometimes you have to um, do something on your own which is not necessarily fitting with the with the majority, and you're risking you're risking acceptance by this. You're risk you know you're risking being totally shunned away. But in my opinion, you're creating originality which stands out, and that is something that that cult films do have. You know, a lot of cult classics were not classics right away in fact they sucked right away (laughs) a a, a lot of films you know but 20 30 years later there's something about them that's liked and it's that originality it's same like with music you know ring of fire Uh, for instance the song ring of fire it was it was being written for years before it came out and and that's the first song you think of when you think of john cash or or any song any any music you know from Pink Floyd, you know, somebody who said that that my movie reminded them of Pink Floyd's The Wall. You know, that, that that's a compliment. That that feels good because then they really got what I was going for. You know, and the whole thing is, you know, movies are not only stories. If you want a story, go read a New York Times. You know, movies are an ambience. It's a combination of soundtrack. It's a combination of, 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 I mean, look at Star Wars. I mean, story alone, sure, it's a good story. It's an interesting story, but story is not what made it spectacular. It's it's the scenery, it's the space, it's it's the, you know, John Williams soundtrack. You know, those are things that create. Uh, uh, it's a, it's a it's a ride. You know, you go for a ride. You know, and and it's. I remember, as an eight-year-old kid, I I saw Empire Strikes Back first, and uh, I remember watching that in a movie theater as an eight-year-old kid, and I was just. Uh, blown away because just just seeing that that humongous uh, picture of the galaxies you know and the spaceship going across it just blows you away you know to me to me that it's the ambience 
that creates a movie because you know like you guys have a bunch of dvds you know it's <laughs> so do i you know i mean i have a hum i i i don't know i i think i've seen million movies in my life from birth to now i i i i don't know if there's any classic movie that i haven't seen you know or studied in some way or the other so you know when i watch movies and a lot of movies i'll just put in a dvd player over and over and over and over again I don't put them in the DVD player because I like the story, so I like the suspense. You know, it's 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 the ride that I like. You know, it's it's something about it. I mean, I've seen Space Odyssey. I don't know, forty times maybe. Yeah. You know, it's, and I can watch it any time. You know, I can just literally watch it any time if I have time. I can put it in because there's something about. It. I mean. You can say, sure, the guy goes on the top of a spaceship and for six minutes a shot is he's, he's fixing some bolt on the spaceship. You know, all you could hear is, you know, he's yeah. breathing and nothing is going on. And sure, somebody can say, yeah, well, that's boring. That's beside the point. But there is something there that just gives you that echo, that, that eeriness, uh, that loneliness of space that's crucial. You know, it's not everything should be on the nose. Not everything should be on the nose. Sometimes, sometimes, and I think, you know, what I, to go back to what I was saying, you know, I think it's time after 25 years of movies sort of sounding and looking the same, it's time to shift something. I think this decade will do that trick because I think we have had so many flops humongous flops, $200 million flops, $300 million flops. You know, Hollywood is aware of that. You know, I've, you know from John Carter to this, to that, to the the one with um, Keanu Ken Reeves. Reeves. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I mean, at least a dozen flops in the last five years or something like that. And, you know, and they know something is going wrong. You know, something is going wrong because people are not anymore amazed with CGI. You know, computer graphics cannot create what movies what makes a movie a good movie you know so. well i think a lot of that depends on how you use that cgi you know all of those elements should be feeding back into that right. story to bring people into it you know uh, the example i've always used is as what how cgi should be used is mm -hmm. the knife in zodiac right, um, right, right where you can use a cgi knife in zodiac to make everyone believe they're watching someone be murdered right, in a right. way that you you just Something about the plastic knives just could never figure that out exactly. quite as well. Um, and you compare that to something like the end of Incredible Hulk, where right. everything is CGI. Right. It never rings true in the same yeah. way. You um, know, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that's interesting you mentioned, because in Gladiator, CGI worked perfectly. Yeah. Because in Gladiator, CGI actually helped that movie. Yeah. They would have to reshoot the whole movie. You know, uh, what's his name? Uh, the Gladiator trainer who died. Uh, Oh, uh, Reed. Um, uh, no, Oliver Reed. Oliver, Oliver Reed, yeah. Oliver yeah. Reed, yeah. When Oliver Reed died, you know, uh, they wanted to reshoot the entire movie, and it was, what, $100 million or something like that? And if it wasn't for the CGI of the 1999, yeah. you know, uh, that movie would have to be reshoot. But thanks to CGI, they, they created a replica of Oliver Reed and, and so many of those shots. And I know about those shots because I could have, I was sort of supposed to be on the show. I was working with Titus at the time and they were, they were oh, starting. Yeah? yeah, Branko Lustig was, and there were other uh, stunt companies from Croatia who was getting the stuntmen to North Africa. Oh, wow. In the spring of 1999. And I was still on Titus at the time. And I remember that. And, uh, so, so all those shots that were done, 
you know, in the real sunlight. And that was not CGI. A lot of that stuff yeah. in Africa, North Africa sequence of Gladiator was real, you know, and and it, it would have been a shame if they would have to reshoot all that, you know. But thanks to CGI, for instance, that's where CGI is good. But the way I look at it, it's sort of like the way I look at CGI, CGI is salad. It's a side meal, you know. Uh, movie is the the entry. That's that's the real meal, you know. CGI is sort of the soup and salad, you know, uh, nachos on the side or <laughs> chips and salsa. <laughs> it's it's not the main meal. And if you start treating the uh, side meal as the main meal, then something in the main meal gets lost. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like you're eating too much salad and, and chips and salsa before the main meal comes. So by the time the main meal comes, you're not hungry anymore. Yeah. So it's one of those things where movies are movies first. You know, I mean, one thing, and I said that when I was uh, uh, the premiere at, uh, at the Mayan, one thing I'm proud of in 476 is the fact that every single shot you see in that movie is legitimate. It's real. Nothing is CGI. Okay, we have a lot of green screens, and the chapter two, The Dawning of the Age of Pisces, that one has CGI a little bit, but uh, not much. But the first one, everything, every sh- every shot, every person you see is an actual legitimate human being, you know. So I think in a way, uh, I'm happy with that. You know, it, it's sort of raw, it's sort of weird, it's sort of like uh, there's a lot of raw camera, there's a lot of uh, handheld and uh, but I think there's something there. I think there's something there, you know. And uh, I don't, I don't want to have like this false humility where I'm just sort of pretending to be like I don't care about my movie. Oh, I hope you like it and <laughs> BS like that because I'm not gonna do that. You know, I'm proud yeah. of what I did. I I spent four years of my life for it. You know, so I I just hope. I just truly hope that twenty years from now, people will know about it. That, that's really what I want, you know, 20, 30 years from now. Somebody will remember, yeah, there was a crazy nutcase <laughs> who made a movie about the Roman Empire, which is totally through the roof weird, you know. So that's sort of what I'm going for. And and then the chapter two, which is, I call it the blue chapter, the darker chapter, the colder chapter, that's sort of the uh, the chapter that's depicting the, the, the end of Rome, you know, when I wrote this, when I wrote it, I, I first actually wrote chapter two. I first wrote the, the dawning of the age of Pisces. Actually, I called it the age of Pisces first. And uh, and then uh, it was pretty much just the battle and, and the darkness, you know. And then I wrote the chapter one first. Then I wrote the, the first piece. And then I originally sort of wanted to do it as a he- one huge movie. But it was always sort of two dynamics. It was always sort of two chapters, two different, you know, one is the golden, the light, the last light of Aries. It, it feels warmer. Uh, the colors are warmer. They're more, you know, brownish, warm colors. The second one, the sound is different. The, the music is different. The dynamic is there. It's more brutal. It's, there's more gore. There's more sex. It's just, it's just different, you know. So I think, I think, I think it's going to work that way. Well, you're, Ryan's in now that you said more gore and sex. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, you're uh, welcome. <laughs> cool. um, so yeah. now that we've talked about mm-hmm. how you got there, why don't you give us a little description about the story behind 476? Okay, so so the story pretty much is the fall of the Roman Empire. It, it, it depicts a time period of about 25 years from 451 uh, A.D. when Flavius Aetius, a general Flavius Aetius, uh, defeated Attila the Hun. And he brought 
uh, he brought back security to the Roman Empire. Uh, interesting, uh, just to go a little b beside the point here, in the movie Gladiator, they, they talk about Maximus. Maximus was uh, a fictional character that, in fact, was based on Flavius Aetius because the actual savior of Rome, the guy who actually brought Rome back to himself, was uh, Flavius Aetius some 250 years later. Hmm. And uh, so it was actually Flavius Aetius and uh, the, the, a jealous Caesar who actually murdered Flavius Aetius was actually Valentinian III because Commodus was in fact a six-foot-tall tyrant who was a gladiator, was a Caesar slash gladiator, and he was a, just a brute who murdered people, decapitated people, etc. But the Caesar who actually was jealous together with the senators who murdered Flavius Aetius was Valentinian III in 450, uh, 452, a year after uh, uh, Flavius Aetius uh, defeated Attila the Hun. And the reason was is because uh, the Senate and the Caesar couldn't stand the fact that one general would be uh, more popular than the Caesar himself, and they just couldn't handle that. They couldn't stand that. So, of course, they had him whacked. And, uh, and pretty much from there on, uh, the next 20 years was just a complete crash of the Roman infrastructure, just everything collapsed. And then we jump into 450, uh, 476, uh, 25 years later, you know, and once you go into the into the uh, the newer times, we're then set again with with the coldness of the end of Rome. So, you know, f the chapter one, uh, last slide of Aries, it starts slightly eerie. It has the kind of a feel of sadness, you know, of the beginning right before the final battle. There are four emotions going on, you know. First, it's, it's the, the, the introduction of the army, what's going on. Then you have the introduction of the characters. Then you have the sudden... Uh, uh, realization of the main character played by James Russell, uh, Aetius Patris Majorian, uh, who is the son of Flavius Aetius 20 years later, who starts realizing what is really going on. And then we have that fourth emotion of actual sadness of the, the times they used to know, the times of that golden antiquity, the golden antiquity of Rome that's passing away. And then that sadness goes to flashback of his childhood when things were still good, things were still nice, you know, sort of that sex, drugs, and rock and roll of Roman Empire, you know, the ease, the, uh, the worry-free time period. And then, you know, we go into the chapter two, which is pretty much, okay, now things are just bad, and <laughs> this is what it is, what is next to follow. But through both chapters, what has followed a lot is, you know, we feel this sense of uh, fire in the heart, you know, the soul. Uh, you know, when, when Flavius Aetis, who, yeah, I, I played Flavius Aetis, I had long hair and beard until my <laughs> chest. And uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm talking to my son, uh, and my real son, Niko Pavlitich, right, who is the younger version of James's character. And uh, when I'm talking to my son, you know, I'm pretty much showing him, okay, this is Rome, this is what Rome is about, you know. Uh, but remember, it's there's no glory in killing, you know, politicians, senators, Caesars, and so forth. They come and go, but but it's really the backbone of the society, you know, the legionnaires, the the construction workers, us, the people who actually are the backbone 
of the society. And that's sort of a correlation with the United States that we live in today. You know, forgetting, you know, what I put in, in the movie, at the beginning of the movie, according to Carl Sandberg, uh, when a society forgets where it came from, it can no longer know where it is going. Because we start forgetting what, for instance, what the Constitution is based upon. You know, we the people, uh, defending the people, basic elements such as compassion, human compassion, things, things, things that that make us human, things that are that are that make us sort of uh, uh, work as a society. When those basic elements start collapsing, you know, that's when the society starts going up because people just forget what they're really about. You know, and I think I think those are the elements that the human warmth, the human goodness, the heart, the compassion, you know, the modesty, humility, you know, to work with each other, you know, uh, the truth, human truth, you know, it's not about only money, it's not about monetary gain, it's not about business, you know, there's there's other elements in life in in a society that creates a society which is not only you know. You know, okay, our movie made, we made a movie for $200 million and it made $2 billion and now we're good. Well, you made $2 billion doesn't necessarily mean that you made a good movie. You made a good hit. But a good movie is the one that stays for decades on, you know. So would you say it's a political thriller then or a political drama? I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I would say it. It's a, I would say Sane in 1974 is definitely more of that political thriller thing going on you know insane in 1974 we're depicting domestic terrorist organizations we're depicting sort of revolutionary states of minds you know and i don't mean only revolution i mean actual revolutionists you know people like in the 60s that you had symbionese liberation army you had the black panthers and etc you know they wanted change and etc and so, yeah, the 70s had something of that. So we created this scene in 1974, you know, society against Nixon, everyone, you know. And that's sort of based on the whole corruption of the military-industrial uh, complex, you know, which was pretty much behind the Vietnam War, you know, from uh, the death of Kennedy until pretty much uh, resignation of Nixon. So I would say that is more political sort of whereas 476 I would say is more just a correlation with the times we live in today but I wouldn't necessarily say it's political as I would just say it's more about the purposes to make you think the purposes to make you think about basic human emotions basic human compassion basic stuff that just is uh, that I, I think you know going through war seeing the humongous amount of just magnitude of hate you know between serbs croats bosniaks so the kosovars the whole when you just watch and feel that hate after a while after a few years it starts getting to you it's not logical anymore it starts it's like a virus that it's like a plague that starts getting black plague that gets on you and the darkness is something that uh, starts killing you 
you start thinking about stuff like that. You know, when I, I started thinking about 476 during the war, I started watching the stars and thinking about constellation, uh, constellations, equinoxes, you know, age of Pisces, uh, age of Aquarius, Aries, all the, the reason why I use these names. I watched and, you know, I saw galaxies. I saw stars that were a couple of thousand light years away. And then I'm figuring out, yeah, these, this is the, this is, I'm watching history right now. The stars that I'm seeing were, were happening when Caesars were walking right here. So, so you sort of look for hope. You look for hope because you, you get tired of the darkness that surrounds you. You know, I think, I think that's really what, what kills you mostly, you know. I always look around because I never know if I'm just cannibalizing all the <laughs> questions. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, so you've got a lot of local talent in these movies? Yeah, um, yeah. So we have uh, a James Russell uh, playing Aetius Patis Major, and he's the main character. And then we have Spencer Kane. The Spencer, uh, Spencer. Yeah, the, oh yeah, yeah, the Spencer. Did you get yeah. him in a sex scene? Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, no, that oh, was James. <laughs> he's a sexy guy. What can I say? I mean, he's a good-looking guy. Uh, so yeah, Spencer came play plays Libius Severus. Then we have uh, uh, also older actors, uh, Peter Gzowski, who plays the senator Magnus. Then we have the Croatian actor Igor Gallo, who plays Valentinian the Third, the Emperor Valentinian the Third. Then we have Anthony Cuba, uh, Kirsten Dean. Uh, Dean Satriano, Heath Hine, um, just pretty much everybody, you know. I mean, it's like uh, a lot of the talents you see <laughs> in local Colorado stuff yeah. are in this movie. It's one way or the Yeah, one way or the other, you know. So it's uh, – and we shot stuff in Rome and we shot stuff in Croatia, you know. And uh, uh, I was at the Dino De Laurentiis uh, studio area and uh, I talked to a couple of people if I can do a couple of shots there and you know Lazio Italy and uh, next to Rome some shots and then in Elbert County I mean just everywhere you know we did we did shots where I will you know a lot of those shots in Europe were actually done by me because I couldn't pay the tickets for extra crew, yeah, yeah. yeah the cruise and so a lot of it that had to be done by me and uh, so but it worked out it worked out you know it was sort of a risk to go into such a humongous production, you know, uh, I mean, when we look at it, it's, you know, $100,000 for a production that in Hollywood would cost at least a couple of million dollars and would still be considered low budget, you know, yeah. so, so 100K is pretty much micro. That, that's not, that's, I, I think they even call it no budget. I think in LA they actually call it no budget. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, I think three million like, is the starting point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I heard that a minimum, uh, in order to be considered an actual legitimate low budget movie, is something like five million dollars, where actually you are guaranteed some form of theatrical distribution. Hmm. So if you're making a movie below five, six, seven million dollars. You're not guaranteed this three. Yeah, they basically don't even consider that you made a movie. Yeah, yeah, point. it's sort of like yeah, it's sort of a game. Uh, so, so really, technically, let's say ten million dollars, you have a substantial budget. With ten million dollars, okay, yeah, you'll get a theatrical distribution, you know. Yeah. And but it's it's still in the water. I mean, there's so many, there's so many humongous uh, productions with huge budgets that never see the light of day. So, you know, I mean. So how do you shoot um, an ancient Roman movie in Colorado? Well, 
you go and try to find places, uh, which we did in 2010, and then you have some uh, investors back out. <laughs> and then you go to your own house, in your own basement, <laughs> in your living room, <laughs> and then you shoot a movie. So we, uh, we painted the whole room. 400 square foot room into green and blue and put it green screens around so a lot of it was shot in place yeah literally garage basement living room you know stuff you can't believe i mean it's like yeah but you do stuff when you have to and you sort of go for it you try it you know it works it doesn't maybe it will and then it ends up working and that's pretty much what it was i mean it, it we shot it literally comically I mean, I mean, somebody from. I'm not even going to give you all the secrets what we used, all the the way the ways we cut corners. But you know, I, I, I'm thinking if if some executive producer from L.A. right was there with us in a garage when we were shooting some sequences, either he would laugh, or or maybe if it was Bill Gates or people like that, he would say, "Well, we you know we sort of started like this too." <laughs> <laughs> Deja vu. This is sort of familiar because I mean, B uh, Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter shot in night between seventy one, seventy three, seventy four. They shot Dark Star. You know, literally same thing in in a living room in a in a janitor's closet for Christ's sake. You know, they, they shot all kinds of ways in UCLA at I don't know University of Southern California, all kinds of stuff. Then I think uh, David Lynch shot his uh, eraser head. I think he shot it for like seven years, seven, six and a half, seven years before it finally came out. Same thing, you know, like a whole year would or months would pass because they just wouldn't have a budget to continue shooting. Yeah. You know, or they wouldn't have the film stock, you know, and this is before HD, so they only had to use film stock. So a, l a lot of stuff like that is just, you know, hit or miss. You You do stuff, you hope to God it works, you know. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, you know. But I always, that's why I always support any, and I always say, if something is original and it hasn't been done before, don't, lo don't lose, uh, uh, you know, sense of security. Go for it because the fact that it's original and the fact that it hasn't really been done before makes it that much stronger, mm -hmm. you know. And even if it's not perfect at the end, because I'll tell you one thing. I mean, if, if I got to give myself a grade for 476 AD, I'll probably give myself, I don't know, B plus, A minus, somewhere there, 89, 90. Mm -hmm. I, wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't give myself an A. A couple of reasons. Cinematographic quality is not top-notch simply because we were totally micro-budget. Second, uh, it's too weird to be accepted into the, the whole a, uh, a film. But it's a little bit higher than a B film. You know, it's a little bit higher than a B. So I would give it a healthy 89, 90%. That's where I would say, you know, it's sort of the most objective. You know, there, there, there are certain faults. There are certain things that are missing. But overall, overall, yeah, it's, it's there. Yeah. It works, you know. That's cool. So do you think you can make the second chapter better because of the what you've learned from um, it? Well, the second chapter is already shot. You yeah. know, everything is already done. So it's all in post-production now. Uh I can make it, I, it will definitely be different, you know, even, even from the premiere on February 5th and now February 22nd, the Galaxy Film Festival, I've already tweaked certain things. There, I think there was a text at the beginning of the movie that was stationary, 
And people are lazy to read. People don't like to read. So I made it now look like Star Wars. So it's actually strolling up. Mm. Uh, there were a couple of things. For instance, uh, my name started appearing too much. It sounded, you know, it felt a little bit pompous, you know. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. Come on, come on. You know, it felt like being John Malkovich, you know, that scene where Malkovich walks in. It's every Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. <laughs> that, you know, politics, politics. It's just too much. So I cut, I cut about three credits of my name, which were just not needed. And I shortened certain shots that I felt might have been redundant. Mm -hmm. So certain little tweaks, you know, because I tweak all the time, you know, tweak here, tweak there. So, but overall, there's a certain sense. So it's like, I want to tweak a certain shot, but I need it to be transcending. I need it to be ethereal. Mm -hmm. So I can't really cut too much because I'm losing something there, but it needs to be sort of uh, uh, tweaked. So it's, it's a game of hit and miss. You can't satisfy everybody. There's always going to be about 10 to 15% of people who will not dig it, who will not like it. They might even hate it. But there's always going to be about 50, 60% of people who will totally dig it. So, you, you know, you can't satisfy everybody. It just, that's the way with every movie, you know, and it's, uh, will it, will it win awards in Sundance? Probably not. You know, um, because it's it's not that kind of a movie. It's not. Um, it's a weird ethereal movie, but it's not an artsy fartsy movie. Not to mention, yeah. of course, don't get me wrong. Not to mention that Sundance films are artsy fartsy. I'm not trying to say <laughs> that, of course. I'm just saying it doesn't have that piano playing flow to it. You know, right. uh, it's it's something that nobody has really been doing. Who I mean, I've looked around. Who 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 made a ultra low budget movie about Roman Empire? I looked around anywhere, Indonesia, Malaysia, Germany, Italy, anywhere. It just doesn't exist. Nobody was crazy enough to do it. I don't know. You know, who knows what it might be. But it, it wasn't done. So, therefore, the fact that this is the first example of something like this, you know, I can only hope, I can only hope to God that, that 20 years from now, uh, you know, it'll be one of those underground classics, cults. That'll just sort of stick around, you know, which will be un inexplicable. You like it, but you're not really sure why you like it. You just can't take your eyes off it. I mean, it can even be a, a, a you know, a train wreck that you can't take your eyes off. But the fact that you can't take your eyes off it already, there's something to it. Yeah. You know, there's something to it which is just. And if you need to smoke three joints to really totally get into it, well, then smoke three joints. You know, <laughs> you know it doesn't really matter. The point is, there's something about it that works and there's something about it that talks to people and that's all I care for you know so we'll shift gears saying in yeah. 1974 is your other film yeah um, take us through the production of that uh, the story behind it um, you touched on it a little bit but yeah. just go in a little more uh, details well uh, that one you know that one uh, thank god I did not produce that was Eddie Portuguese and, and uh, Audrey Walters you know a wonderful actress Audrey Walters also uh, they produced that you know and Eddie Portuguese was uh the executive producer of that so which took humongous strain from me because i didn't have to do the same thing i did on 476 where i was the the producer and director and the mother and the father and the whole nine yards you know i could actually do other things and concentrate on actual directing you know so that that helped a lot you know and it also uh helped the process you know elgin cahill also a, a good director, you know, Diablo Canyon is a movie. And, uh, he he edited that, too, and he did a good... You know, I was sort of a pain in the ass, you know, looking <laughs> over the edit because I'm a pain in the ass, and I like perfection in certain... <laughs> but uh, 
But overall, you know, everything worked out really well. Uh, as a director, I can say I'm very happy how Sane in 1970 worked out. You know, completely, totally different than 476. I mean, just has nothing to do with it. I mean, not only story-wise, just the whole dynamic is different. But um, I, I think I think there is some similarity there. I think there's some similarity, and I think the similarity is that in Sane in 1974, we we talk about the society losing itself uh, after the Vietnam War or at, or at the very end of the Vietnam War, and you know you have uh, two friends, you know Melvin Weinstein and Eddie Curvet, who were originally from New York City, from Brooklyn, you know, and then and, and you see shots going from 1962 to 1974 to 1968. So, so we shot it retrogradely, you know, we shot it uh, backwards. So I had hair until my boobs, pretty much, you know. <laughs> so I look, I look like a freak from 1970s, you know, <laughs> and. Uh, and then we shot all the sequences in 74, and then I cut my hair short like a Marine. Then we shot sequences in 1968 Vietnam, you know, Tet Offensive 1968 period. And then uh, we sort of slicked our hairs in leather jackets, and we sh shot sequences in 1962 Brooklyn style. And actually, we shot it at the Skylark, the Skylark Bar. Mm. The Skylark Lounge on Broadway because yeah. they use a lot of stuff which is sort of rockabilly. So we wanted the rockabilly thing theme, and then you know we had the Forts of Azure, who wrote the soundtrack for it, and they actually wrote some songs for it, and it was really good. You know, I mean things really sort of got in place perfectly, and it really worked. It was a, it's a short feature. It's only an hour long. You know, so it's uh, technically barely a feature, feature at feature, but yeah, it's a feature. And uh, you know it's it it has it has its comic elements, but it also has its sort of deep eerie elements, you know, that are connected to the time. So, yeah, I guess I guess there are some similarities to four seventy six because there is this eeriness, there's this hollow eeriness going on, which you can't truly depict what exactly it is, but there's something that sort of makes you feel a little bit anxious. You know, there, it's it's sort of like a a story that's an that's announcing that there's an also another story going on, but it doesn't give it to you on the nose. So it's sort of like you you watch a story, but you don't necessarily you're not necessarily you're not told everything right away. You know, you're you're sort of picking up on it. You know, and I think I think those that 1970s in the United States it, it was an interesting time because we as a society uh we're going through a total shift change you know that dawning of the age of aquarius woodstock hippie revolution 1969 that totally blew everybody away you know and then came the 70s where the hippies were sort of out but the punk rock quiet wasn't yet getting in and it was sort of a weird time you know disco was sort of starting heavy metal was already happening but things weren't really developed musically you know, uh, image-wise, things you know, people didn't quite know yet where what's going on, where do we belong? You know, so it was it was sort of an interesting time, I think. You know, that's why I chose the year nineteen seventy-four. You know, cool, very cool. So, where can we can we see the trailers of these online? Yeah, they're they're both online. They're uh, on YouTube, uh, multiple YouTube accounts. But yeah, on YouTube, I think if you just literally write down saying in 1974 on YouTube trailer will come up or if you write down 476 AD theatrical trailer or just 476 AD 
you know trailers will always come out it's uh, come up and it's uh, you know and, and after now galaxy galaxy film festival you know we'll see with other showings where it's going to be shown and etc so the whole purpose and point is to actually you know uh, it, there's a possibility of uh, 476 being shown at the Pula Film Festival which would really be a cool thing uh, because the Pula Film Festival is the uh, city in Croatia which has the Roman arena which actually shot some sequences so it would be really cool if that movie is awesome. being presented in the Roman arena in the amphitheater <laughs> you know where I actually came up with the idea that would be really 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 cool so you know but yeah I'm I'm now working on trying to get uh, you know distribution for the two movies and uh, while I'm getting everything ready for chapter 2 the dawning of the age of pisces come to come out in the next I don't know 9 months or so and then at the same time uh, working on uh, Tesla beyond imagination you know and then there's a fifth uh, uh, feature that the script is already done called my little golden gate about a World War II love story happening in an island of Cro a Croatian island between Croatia and Italy in World War II, where Americans were stationed, yeah. island of Vis, and it's sort of an interesting, cute little story. And uh, so, yeah, it's all now uh, in the air. It's in the motion. It's all about money, getting the money across. You know, you know, we can always say, yeah, uh, uh, you know, we don't like to talk about money, but it's easy to not talk about money when you have it <laughs> when you, and as we know when you don't have it then you got to talk about money because yeah, you got to <laughs> make it happen so you can make a movie for little money but you can't make a movie no money and is there a place we can follow you to see where it's playing after galaxy fest or uh, facebook and things yeah, like that? yeah yeah there is on facebook yeah majority of my stuff is on facebook i, I mean i gotta admit that. uh yeah there is a 476 ad group uh, there's about i don't know four thousand people there and then there's the sane in 1974 group also on facebook and uh i'm on facebook uh, uh linkedin uh, um just on google anywhere i mean you can pretty much you know google this uh, stuff comes up you know there's i've I found sites from russia from romania from i don't know bulgaria germany i don't know god knows brazil about china you know all kinds of places that that talk about the movies so uh yeah it's internet is a great thing it just booms things out you know and you can see what is going on where it's going on and Etc. You know. Well, you know, if they've pirated your movie in China, you've made it. <laughs> you know what? I, I, look, you know, we had uh, I, I had from the chapter two uh, sort of accidental footage. It wasn't planned to be. I, I in all honesty, I put it uh, like uh, ten or so minutes on YouTube, and I wanted to show it to. Uh, I wanted uh, one girl in Croatia, Nikita is her name. She's a singer. She was going to do some uh, voiceovers. So I sent it to her via YouTube. Next thing I found out, I, I had like 10,000 views of the sex scene. <laughs> it was a sex scene uh, uh, from 476. And then uh, like two weeks later, it was like 30,000. Now it's like 140,000 last oh, time I man. saw on YouTube. And, and then I looked where the views are coming. And it was even blocked by YouTube, flagged or whatever yeah. for, for sexual content. I looked where the views are coming from. Saudi Arabia, <laughs> India, <laughs> Malaysia. <laughs> you know, so it's, uh, you know, so I guess it works. I mean, look, in order for a view to count on YouTube, you actually have to watch it. You can't just click on it mm -hmm. because it doesn't count, you know. Uh, so the fact is, yeah, 140,000 people saw 
who knows where, how, where, when, what, what but they did. So, you know, um, that's what I'm counting on. I'm counting on places like India, you know, Asia, you know, Malaysia, uh, Saudi Arabia, because these are these are the markets, man. You know, Bollywood, man. That's that's where stuff is happening, you know. So, you never know, you know. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you for stopping by. Hey, yeah. We really appreciate it, uh, taking the time out. And I'm I'm a big fan. That's why I, I know. put a t-shirt, <laughs> man. You know. Shirt. And I always love what you guys do on the open screen night, man. I think you guys are hilarious. Oh, <laughs> thank you. It's, it's, well, thank it's you. cool stuff. You know, I always tell everybody about you guys that, uh, uh, you know, you're the best thing in Colorado is for just comedy and stuff like that. Best thing in Colorado for comedy. That's, well, a, that's know, our I new mean, quote. Uh, yeah, yeah, well, real comedians. <laughs> yeah, you know, it yeah, just works. It works, you know. So, so, and I've told everybody at, uh, you know, comedy works about you. And, uh, well, you know guys from comedy works. Mm-hmm. I mean, you work with, together, so. Yeah. Uh, Aaron Middleton and the Middleton brothers and etc. you know. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, we so. really appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, thank hey, you. Thank thanks, you. Ivan. We appreciate thanks, it. Man. Thank you. Galaxy. Galaxy Fest. February 21st and 22nd. See his movies. 22nd, 7 p.m., one movie after the other. Oh, cool. Cool. 76 at 7, and then 8.45 right after that is Sane in 1974. Cool. Do a double feature. Yeah. Double feature. So, yeah. get, get it out there. Cool. Cool. Thank you so much for listening to Real Nerds Podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also stream us on Stitcher Radio. Email us, realnerds at gmail.com. Visit our website, realnerdspodcast.com. You can tweet us, at real underscore nerds. Call us, 720-6-NERDS-5. Like us on Facebook. This has been an Endless Visions production. Until next week, bye.